I'm Brooke Lamb. And I'm Lindsay Sampson. And this is Kismet, a podcast exploring the big and small moments in life that change us. We hope you find here an invitation to notice more fully the presence of love in your own life and receive the gifts of the stories of others. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Kismet. This is our last guest, officially, for this season one. Super excited to have Emma Gottney with us today. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, so why don't you just tell our listeners about yourself and where they can find you, what you do, anything you want them to know. So my name's Emma. Right now, I'm in the middle of a transition, and so I'm figuring out a lot of things about myself, but I'm a recent Master of Divinity graduate, kind of from all over. Um, my family lives in Texas, but we moved around a lot growing up, and so I don't have necessarily a place I call home. Home's where my family is, but I would say I'm a creative. I love to write. I love storytelling. I love poetry. I love learning. Why did your family move around a lot? It's kind of hard to describe because I feel like we moved for so many different reasons. When my parents had a dream or something new they wanted to pursue, we would move. So they did a lot of humanitarian and aid work um, overseas. So we lived overseas for a while. And then my parents, we came back for my parents' schooling. We moved for jobs, kind of just for whatever they wanted to do. And where did you, I know you said you went to divinity school recently. Mm -hmm. Where did you come from before that? And sort of like what brought you specifically to Nashville? So I was in California prior to coming here. Um, I went to Vanderbilt Divinity School, but I was in California prior to this. I went to Azusa Pacific University. I came straight from undergrad. I came here specifically to study divinity, um, and I chose Vanderbilt because I wanted a place that brought together like the social and the theological, and in undergrad, that was something that I truly uncovered was how important it is to be rooted in like what is happening in this world, and Vanderbilt, that's like Vanderbilt's whole thing is like being rooted in what is happening in the now, what's happening around us. And so I came here for Vanderbilt. I applied to two divinity programs, but I really just wanted to come to Vanderbilt. So Emma and I have a, a personal family connection history growing up um, in Kansas City. I knew about Emma's family, um, the, some of the work that they were doing, our church supported, our family supported. Um, and then for a while, they actually came and uh, lived in Kansas City, yeah. and we actually lived in the na- same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I was 16, I was in high school, and I would drive Emma and her sister, Hope, <laughs> to school Yes, <laughs> at our um, very bizarre, uh, tiny, classical yes. school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many shared <laughs> experiences. Very many, yes. <laughs> so it's just such a treat and joy that I've gotten to spend time with Emma in Nashville these last few years and yeah. have her on our podcast. Yeah. How did your spiritual life change when you were at Vanderbilt? And then what would it, what would you say it looks like now? In order to talk about that, I have to talk about kind of a little more specifically what led me to Vanderbilt. I feel like because I grew up in different countries and in Kansas City, went to a very small school, 
going to college, I was kind of unsure of like how I wanted to pursue spirituality. And I think I had a lot of ideas of the Bible and people and God, and I wanted to bring them all together. And it felt really difficult to do that because I, growing up, was told I had to like believe a certain thing. I had to think a certain way. And I felt because I had seen so many different cultures and perspectives, I didn't know how to connect those things. And so in undergrad, I took, I was a religious studies major and a sociology major. And so I studied a lot about like social structures, social systems, and that impacted how I viewed the Bible and how I viewed spirituality. And so I took a lot of Bible classes and a lot of classes on different religions, but specifically I took a class on Ruth and Esther. And in that class we studied, I mean, the two books named after women in the Bible. And we talked a lot about like the various identities that those women held. And it was the first time that I had seen the Bible in a way that like spoke to the social structures of our time. And so like getting to study the Bible and use that as a spiritual tool that not only like helped me look inward, but helped me see the world impacted my spirituality and my desire to come to Vanderbilt because I wanted to learn more about these biblical stories that have something to say about our world. And I think as I continued to deconstruct what I believed, I don't know how to label myself religiously, but I do use the Bible as like a spiritual tool. And I think coming to Vanderbilt helped me learn so much about myself. I was able to learn about my own social location, my own like sexuality, my ideas about the divine. And so I really like grew into myself. And I think if I hadn't, if I hadn't gone to divinity school and felt so safe to just like be a whole human and like search for wholeness, I don't know. I don't know where I would be, but I think right now, spiritually and religiously, I believe a lot in a divine who like holds us and carries us and like speaks to us in very different ways. And I think that looks differently for each person. I think for me, spirituality is found in experience and being in community as well as like retreating to like sacred texts, whether that's like scripture or poetry or someone's story. I think that's where, that's where I am. So I'm not really affiliated to anything specific, but I feel like very deeply tied to people in a divine that's like everywhere. I just love listening to you. (laughs) I really do. And and I think like, not to keep talking about myself, but I think just for for context of why I'm going to ask you these next couple of questions, like I want people to know like how just impactful, like you're sort of sharing that journey and moving it in those spaces. It's like a few years ago when you first came here and we were talking about some of this stuff and sort of Mm -hmm. what was happening for you and what had happened to us as younger people coming from a very fundamentalist background. And you shared some of those conversations about Mm -hmm. Esther and Ruth and about womanist theology, which I'll link in the show notes if you want to learn more about it. Super cool. But um, just hearing someone else sort of, talking about those things and going like, oh, I didn't even know that the Bible could be utilized in this way. Um, And that there are so many people who have never Mm -hmm. heard Mm -hmm. that, that like there is a way to love and honor and, and truly relate to Mm -hmm. scripture that actually is consistent as well with 
what we see in our eyeballs in this yeah. real world yeah. and what we experience in our bodies. Truly. And just how much of a joy that is. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that was possible. Mm-hmm. And you were a big part of, like, showing me that that was possible, mm-hmm. especially what you wrote your uh, thesis on. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, okay. I would love to. In my program, my two focuses were gender and sexuality and the Hebrew Bible. And I I love learning about scripture because I think there's like there's so much opportunity for like creativity, for learning, for like reflection. Um, and growing up in a more fundamentalist background or a background where like you have to interpret the Bible one way, I think folks can either feel like they have to throw it all out or they have to somehow fit those like narrow beliefs into their belief system. But the more that I learned about scripture, the more I realized like how vast it is. And so my final project was on kind of developing a queer narrative hermeneutic of scripture. And so the text that brought me to divinity school was Ruth. And I ended my time at divinity school reading the book of Ruth, but in a completely different way than I thought. And so stories carry us. And I think the queer community is rooted in storytelling. It's rooted in like sharing stories verbally and like learning about people through their stories. And it's like shared in small conversations and community and glances in comments. And there's so many different ways to like learn history from one another. And so like we're all connected through those stories. And the same thing is true with scripture. It's like an oral storytelling. It's also a written storytelling. And so I, as I was like thinking through like what I wanted to do my thesis on, I realized that I wanted to be able to look at scripture as a way for like folks who have been harmed by scripture to like be healed by it. Um, And so my thesis was on not necessarily uncovering, but seeing the mirror of queer narrative within scripture as a means of healing. And so I talked about um, in my final piece, the story of Naomi. And a lot of people talk about how Ruth and Naomi, there's kind of like a little bit of like a queer undertone because it's these two women that love each other so much. But I didn't want to focus on that part of it. I wanted to focus on how like the story of Naomi leaving her family, coming back to her family and uncovering a whole new identity is very similar to the queer like experience. And there's like moments of hope. There's moments of losing everything. There's moments of uncovering and renaming yourself. And so I felt like that was a beautiful depiction of the queer experience, but also like our experience with the divine and being in community with others. I selfishly want you to tell tell that story <laughs> on here because I again yeah. I know that there will be people listening to this who have literally never yeah like heard of any mm-hmm. kind of way of of looking at that story mm-hmm. other than like find your Boaz mm-hmm. ooh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah which was yeah it was a big one for me I mean Same. that was like explicitly talked about in some of the books I read as a preteen one hundred percent like. With your Boaz. It's like a love story, and Boaz is seen as the mm. center of it. When, when it's really... like, literally, he doesn't even matter, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. He doesn't matter. He is, like, a side character at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's also, like, moving, like, the whole reason that he, well, maybe not the whole reason he's there, but I feel like the whole story, like, Ruth is shaping it, and Naomi is shaping it, and Boaz is, like, 
at their hands. Like, yeah, he's the object. Like, he's not, he doesn't have a lot of movement in the story. Ruth is also one of the reasons that I came to Divinity School. I actually have a Ruth tattoo. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So important. So beautiful. And one of my favorite parts of the book is that it starts with a genealogy. Mm -hmm. Like it starts with a lineage and like it look, it's like so boring to start a book with like this person was the son of this person was the son of this person. But it starts by basically saying like this thing happened in a point in time and then a bunch of generations happened and then there was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And to me, it sets up the story of like the stuff that feels confusing or the stuff that feels like, you know, am I off track? Am I like in a space that I'm not supposed to be in? Like, Mm -hmm. or what, what is happening? Where am I? Like all of this, the, the story of Ruth, which like doesn't talk about God or Jesus by name at all at any point, not present. Mm Mm-hmm it's a reminder that like the divine is entangled in all of these things that don't even feel like a linear story. And not only is it all like part of, not only is the divine part of all of it, but that story had to take place in all Mm -hmm. of its tangles for Jesus to appear. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm, I'm not necessarily like a, all the old Testament leads to the new Testament because that's like pretty supersessionist. But there is something about like, the necessity of our tangled mm-hmm. and beautiful stories of like becoming and mm-hmm. being in community and like finding ourselves and sort of, like you said, naming ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's like that singular story had to take mm-hmm. place for the divine to be birthed. Yeah. And that just reminds me of like each of our individual stories. Mm-hmm. Of like we all are going through these like metamorphosis mm-hmm. moments where and sometimes they look really clear and sometimes they yeah. don't. And sometimes we do things that are confusing or sometimes it's even like things that are, yeah, socially unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> and like all of those things have to take place. 100%. Um, for like divinity to be birthed mm-hmm. in us and also in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love genealogies because people's names are so important, especially in the Bible, because everyone's name means something. And so I think to have a genealogy where often women women aren't mentioned at all, and for Ruth to be mentioned feels really beautiful and really powerful and like adds to the entanglement of the divine because it also like shows that like we deserve to be named and we deserve to be a part of that story, which I think wasn't always like shared with me growing up. And I'm like, oh yeah, my name matters. Like my part of this story is important to like the divine unfolding like you said and so I love I love that that's really beautiful if you guys are like me at the end of the day after working with clients and being with my kiddos and just the busyness of the day I love to relax with my husband and we like to watch shows that we both can get into and particularly I wanted to share about Prime Video Amazon has been producing some really amazing content for the last several years. Some of the shows that we're enjoying right now, we really are loving The Power. I'm watching that one. So many interesting themes about patriarchy and women in the world. Really fascinating dystopian look at what would happen if sort of the power dynamics in this world are flipped on their heads. And there's so many other ones. So if you haven't yet tried Prime Video, we are able to get you a free trial for Prime Video. So if you want to try it out, see if there's any shows on there that you connect with, have access to tons and tons of content, you can go to kismet-podcast.com slash Amazon, kismet-podcast.com slash Amazon to sign up for a free trial there. 
and I hope you guys can find some enjoyable stuff to watch. Thanks for listening. Uh, back to the show. So would you like to tell us your story? Yeah. We would love to hear it. Yes. So I mentioned already that I grew up moving around a lot. And I think that that is very important to my identity. So I was born in Texas and I have two parents, my mom and my dad, and then I have an older sister and a younger brother. And I feel like our family makeup is kind of unusual because both my siblings were adopted. And so there was always like a interesting dynamic in our family. So put that there. My older sister's named Hope. My younger brother's named Cotto. I love both of them so dearly. But I grew up moving around a lot. And so when I was four, my family lived in the Dominican. And then when I was five, we moved to Haiti and lived there until about nine or 10. And then we moved back to the States. We lived in Baltimore for a little bit. And then we moved to Kansas City. And so living overseas was really crucial to my upbringing, my development, and kind of my understanding of self and others. And so it was really interesting when we moved to Kansas City because I well, we moved to Kansas City, which is a big city, but we, um, I started going to a very small school. And so it was really interesting to be a third culture kid who was like used to living in a big community, having like lots of people around me and all of us being very different. And there was this like kind of this understanding that we could all be together, even though we had such like different beliefs, different languages, and we were constantly learning about each other. And so to move to a place where I went to a small school where I felt like I didn't know how to share these stories was really difficult. And I kind of like for a long time, didn't talk about living overseas. I didn't talk about the thoughts and ideas that came with that and my understanding of people and culture and how like a lot of the ideas I had about the United States, I was disillusioned with so much of our culture, so much of Christianity at a young age, but it was very much like stuck inside me. And so at school, I had amazing friends, but it was very much I was told I had to understand scripture in one way, I had to understand people in one way, and I had to understand myself in one way. And so I felt very limited. And so when the opportunity came for me to go to college, I was like, I want to break free. I want to go somewhere far away from Missouri. I want to go somewhere completely different. And I want to go somewhere so I can learn how to leave the United States again. Like I was like, I don't want to be here. And so I found a program, it was a global studies program, which I didn't end up even um, graduating with that. But I found that program because they had two opportunities to study outside of the university. And I was like, this is what I want. Like, I don't want to learn in a classroom. I want to learn with people and I want to like learn by doing. And so I went to Azusa Pacific University and I started to pursue global studies there, but quickly changed to sociology because as I was like learning and growing, I realized that like my desire to learn about other people didn't have to happen overseas. It could happen right where I was. And as I started to take sociology classes, I started to understand myself and my family because my family has several different racial identities. And so I felt like a lot of the time I didn't have the language to talk about living in different social structures than my siblings. And so going to school and taking sociology classes were so like, was so important to me. And it was honestly like a really big identity shift to realize that I like, it wasn't that I wanted to like 
escape back overseas, but I wanted to just like learn about the people around me. And it felt so like eye opening and beautiful to realize that like I could live in the United States and be with different people, which sounds so silly because like the United States is so complex. So the college I went to was similar to the high school I went to where there was still like a very much like cultural norm and cultural belief system that had to be followed. And while I was in college, I was really starting to come to terms with like my own sexuality and like my own understanding of self. And it was in like Bible classes that I like truly started to like recognize like who am I? Like who do I want to be? And like who do I love essentially? But at APU, there wasn't really opportunity to explore that because it just like wasn't a safe place to be a queer person. And so I honestly like pushed down a lot of like my ideas of like who I love, who I wanted to be. And it wasn't until like I came to Vanderbilt, which was like one of the reasons I wanted to come to Vanderbilt because our dean was a lesbian. Um, it was like I wanted, <laughs> I wanted a place where I was like, oh, I can study like scripture and also be gay. But I would say like one of the biggest turning points to all of that was, and I already shared this, was in my Ruth and Esther class, but I remember we had to write an exegetical. So exegeticals are academic papers where you take a specific, it's called a pericope, but it's a set of verses and you just like dissect it. So you take like between three to eight verses, you look at it in several different translations, several different commentaries, you like track the words that are repeated, you track the like metaphors that are in it and you kind of like talk about what it means. And so it's very personal and also communal because you like recognize what you believe and then you check with other people kind of deal. So like a deep dive on a small, Mm -hmm. very small. Sometimes it'll have like an explicit lens. Like we're going to do this from like, we're going to look at Luke chapter two from a queer lens or from a womanist lens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it can, it can honestly be whatever you want it to be. And so I was to write an exegetical on the first like chapter of Ruth. The context for this was I had just come back from my school to this thing called LA term. And so we lived in Los Angeles, um, and lived with a host family and did like had internships and just learned about the city. And so it was like my first dive into like living in a city, learning about it inside the United States. And so I came back like very angsty and like very disillusioned with Christianity. Cause I was like, everything I was taught was wrong, but it wasn't necessarily wrong. It just, I had a different lens. So I was coming into this text and I was like, not really sure what I wanted out of it. And so I was looking at like we had a theological library and I went to like the commentary wall and I was looking at all of the different commentaries. And I remember like seeing the names like feminist interpretation, queer interpretation. And it was like in that moment, everything opened up and I was like, wow, like there are so many different ways of believing and thinking. And I get to decide like how I want to read this text. And I remember like, that was the first time that that was the first time I'd ever seen like queer commentary. And it was, I didn't really, I didn't write my paper on that, but I remember looking at that and being like, oh, there is an opportunity to understand myself in this text and to understand myself period in the space that I grew up in. And it just was like mind blowing. And so I feel like after that, I went through a lot of different questionings, but that led me to the divinity school and moving to Nashville. And I think coming to Nashville really impacted me because I 
I unraveled my identity in the midst of a pandemic, but also on my own. Um, And I was able to be in a community of people who were so similar to me, um, but also so vastly different. I had friends who were fundamentalist. I had friends who had like never even grown up Christian and like people all across the spectrum. And so I felt like I could like find freedom in understanding myself. I'm resonating so much with when you see that there are different lenses, Mm -hmm. it doesn't become a question of finding the truth. Mm -hmm. It becomes a choice. Yeah. Like an exercise in your own agency of like, Mm -hmm. what do I want the fruit of my Mm -hmm. interpretation to be? Mm -hmm. And given like, you know, whatever your ethic is Mm -hmm. of like, oh, well, you know, it's do no harm and, and like love God and love others. And it's like, okay, well, which, which lens Mm -hmm. allows me to bear that fruit in the world? That is such a beautiful moment Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) to feel like it can feel really scary Mm -hmm. and like a grief Mm -hmm. to feel like, oh, it's, it's no longer about discovering Mm -hmm. the right thing. Yeah. It's about seeing the lenses and saying, okay, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about myself? What good does this allow me to mm-hmm. do in the world? It sounds like there was that sort of initial yes. moment. What were like the concentric circles or like little ripples in the pond that yeah. you experienced after that? Like was, did you go through stages of, was there like yeah. stages of grief? Was it all yeah, beautiful? I think for a long time, I was like a really angsty person um, because I think I learned that there, I think specifically about being a woman, I like was really angry because I would like come back to places where like I knew I was about to study divinity, but like I, my perspective was not appreciated because I was a woman. Like women were never asked to pray for a long time in my family. And so I was just like so furious. And when I came to divinity school and moved to Nashville, I found some separation from that anger. Um, and I was around like people who like had similar thoughts. So there was, I could move into joy, but I'm thinking of some of the ripples. And I think the biggest one for me honestly was coming out and like my unraveling and my becoming. And I think I don't like the concept of coming out because I think it alludes to, this like one singular moment, but I think that there's several unending moments and it's like, I'm constantly figuring out myself and I'm never just like coming out, but coming to Nashville, I had told myself, like, if I, like, I knew I wanted to like learn more about myself, but I was like, I will never tell my family I'm queer. Well, I'll tell my parents, but I'll never tell my extended family. I will end up with a man. I will like, live this kind of, not in secret, but in privacy. And that very much shifted. And I think one of the biggest reasons that shifted is because of my friends, but also meeting my fiance. And I think that's like the biggest ripple because I would never be like comfortable in my skin until I came to a place where I could be. I feel like this is like the idea of kismet, the idea of like a divine moment unraveled a lot with meeting my partner, Taylor. Um, So I live in community. I still live in community. And so I live in this place called Disciples Divinity House. And it's a place where Div students, Divinity students live together. There's apartments, but there's also single rooms and the single rooms share a bathroom. 
And so I've lived there since my first year in Nashville. And then my second year in Nashville, my now fiance moved in next door to me. Um, and so we shared a bathroom and there was this immediate like connection and friendship between us when she moved in. And I felt truly so confused because I feel like it takes a long time for me to open up to people, but we just connected very much. And we kind of somehow like fell into this relationship that was very intentionally talked about, but also like very unexpected. And we both like one of our first conversations when months, months, months after building a friendship, we were like, we probably will never come out to our family or like different people in our family. And I like, that was our initial conversation. And then three months later, I remember feeling like, oh, I'm going to tell, like, I'm going to tell people in my family. And I like called my grandma and I was like, Hey, like, just so you know, the person you met, like, that's my person. And I am actually queer. And it was this moment that I never thought I would have. And I thought that it would be rooted in fear, but I found that like in sharing who I was, I was able to be like, this is something that's so divine and beautiful and sacred about me. And I never thought I would be able to say that before. And now me and my now fiance are like, we have shared our lives very publicly and openly and built ourselves in like mutual sacred love. And like, we're able to unravel ideas of like patriarchy and control and power in our relationship. And it's felt like a very divine, beautiful thing. And I like came into school thinking I would never share like my sexuality. And then I ended up writing like my final thesis on it. And now like everything has shifted. Thank you so much for listening to Kismet. It's been great to share this with you guys today. It would help us out a lot um, if you would be able to go to wherever you're getting your podcast from. If you would please rate and review us, that would be wonderful. And subscribe as well, especially um, on Apple Podcasts. If you go to kismet-podcast.com, there's a link there that says support Kismet. And that's the link to go to to find ways that you can support our work so that we can continue working on bringing these stories to you. Share us on social media. We do have Instagram and Facebook and would just love to be able to spread this conversation a little bit more widely. For more info, again, go to our website, kismet-podcast.com. And thank you so much for supporting us by doing these things. It really does make a big difference. Something that I hear that I just think is really beautiful is this like full circle experience of you had this this knowing Mm -hmm. inside as a child in these communities in Haiti and and the Dominican, Mm -hmm. this knowledge in your body of just this expansive space yes, and this room for like diversity and difference and totally just that openness Mm -hmm. that children like come into this world having. Yeah. And then you came here Mm -hmm. and again, I can just, I feel so much empathy and love for that little part of you because that must have been so confusing Mm -hmm. and to not have been an adult to be able to to talk about oh yeah what was happening and then understandably becoming very angry yeah at that then you come into this space as an adult and you followed you followed the voice inside Mm -hmm. that sort of brought you into this space and now you've been restored to that which you had as a child yeah 
that is a very beautiful way of putting it. I love what you said about the phrase coming out because mm-hmm. it, it struck me as like coming out suggests that you are revealing a fully finished thing Yeah, that's like, oh, yes, I have been this mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. in private and now I'm being this showing this being in public. Yeah. And in reality, it's this, like, it, it almost sounded like one coming out allowed for a hundred mm-hmm. coming outs. Yeah. Or, like, one act of bravery allowed yeah. space in your life for other acts of bravery to mm-hmm. even be possible. Yeah. And it's, like, that first one that I think, like, there is a moment. I think that there's beauty in naming the first of many yeah. moments. The first time that you say something brave. The first time that you say something yeah. where, like saying something true about yourself could make you lose other things. Yeah. But I love this idea of like, it's not, it's not one thing. It's not mm-hmm. one time you're going to be experiencing these moments where you choose the whisper of the yeah. divine in the quiet parts of your heart over mm-hmm. whatever expectations were put on you by whoever, by yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. And I totally, and like, there is that first moment of like the first time you ever do that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then that allows so much room for you to do it over and over again Mm -hmm. for kind of the rest of your life. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) There's like, there's beauty in the first, but you're just cracking open uh, for other moments. That's great. Yeah. And there's, I feel like there's a lot of grace there too, to recognize that like, there are moments when I think we all like hide ourselves in different moments, but there's grace for ourselves and like a very deep gentleness in those moments of when we've had to like kind of protect ourselves and not share all of ourselves. And I think there's a lot of grace for other people. And I think there's an understanding that like maybe this person I'm talking to, like they're still becoming too. And so I think the unraveling is also wrapped in a lot of grace, which I return to a lot. There's like a fill in the blank phrase that we say a lot in this podcast. And it's like the universe is so much more blank than I expected mm. or realized. What comes to mind for you? I think the first word that came to my mind is complex. Every single day I learn something new and every single day I see people in a different way. And I just feel like the universe is so complex. And every time I begin to learn something, I realize how much I don't know. And I love that because I feel like I'm consistently and always curious and it provides, as we said, opportunity to unravel, but like everything is so deeply interconnected, but also so deeply different. And I like really appreciate that. Is there anything that you would want our listeners to know from your experience, from the kismet moments in your life? Mm -hmm. What I would say to people on a journey is that like everything takes time and there's a lot of like discovery that happens when you're learning about yourself and like that can't happen in an instant. And it also, there are moments when it happens in an instant, but I think that to have like so much gentleness and grace for the time it takes to learn about yourself because it's unending and in that like you never have to figure You never have to have it all figured out before you start like talking about yourself. So I think time. Any books or resources or anything that you would, that you're loving right now or that were like really influential for you that you want to recommend? I think the first book that comes to mind, which I think is a book read by a lot of people, but Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. I think that's a beautiful book when you're learning 
how to write about yourself and learn about yourself because it's all about living in unanswered questions. So I love that book. I think a fiction book that I also think is a beautiful book and resource to just like being present in the fullness of yourself is House on the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune because it's very beautiful and childlike and full of wonder and curiosity. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a privilege and just really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for having me. Thanks for wrapping up our season. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this must be.